So apparently, anybody here last week for Easter? Just check in. Okay, if you weren't here last week for Easter, this isn't going to make sense to you, and I'm really sorry. Uh, but I, I, I was given an analogy of this thing, and I did this hillbilly accent last week that sa- sounded much more like someone from Louisiana getting crawfish. Like, my, my wife sent me these videos of the swamp people trying to catch alligators, and she goes, that's what you sound like. <laughs> I had somebody come up to me, and they said, I was not kidding at all. They said they were highly offended at my hillbilly accent. And if you were here last week, part of the message, I said, well, I'm not going to apologize because I'm not sorry. <laughs> So, oh, he's, he's a mean guy. <laughs> if you're here for the message, you'll get that. But if you weren't, whatever. If you're offended with the hillbilly accent, it wasn't a hillbilly accent, apparently. <laughs> Be offended because it was apparently, oh, I'm going to catch me some gators in the swamp. <laughs> Oops, did it again. Hey, welcome to Element, if you were new. Sorry. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes that kind of reflect on what we'll talk about today, some questions to reflect on what we talk about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that really goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, This is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19. It says, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be those who live in the gifts that you have given, uh, our lot in life and where we are, and to begin to learn to rejoice where we are and to trust you in all of these things that we would live out in this world in a way that reflects your goodness, but also the great grace you have bestowed upon us, and that we would show who you are by how we love you and love others. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are in Ecclesiastes. This is week 15, and this is going to dovetail into what we talked about two weeks ago before Easter, and over the next couple weeks, this also goes all together, and we're talking about satisfaction, money, the economy, all that good stuff, and if this is your first time at Element, please don't freak out. Some people here at church is talking about money. They just think, well, that guy just really wants my wallet. That's not what this is about, okay? This is not what it's about. Uh, What we want to be is a people who talk about God's blessing and God's goodness in our lives. I am not going to tell you you need to buy me some sort of airplane because God needs it for me to fly around tell everybody about the gospel. It's not what here's. Uh, money makes our world go around. It really does. Uh, everything about our lives tends to focus on income and stuff and all of these things. One of the reasons that the scriptures speak so strongly and so often about generosity is it helps us not to be controlled by money. Today we hold money very closely. We get offended if anybody wants to talk to us about it. Like a couple weeks, I told you, I could ask you about anything in your life. I could ask you about your, your marriage, your car, your job, your boss, your co-workers. But the second I would say something like, hey, let's talk about finances. You'd be like, why do you want to talk about finances, you weirdo? Right? Because we all freak out about it because we are all so consumed with money and we hold it very tightly to ourselves. And so we cannot be that kind of people because in the end it really becomes kind of absurd. So we're going to talk about, is that in the Bible? The Bible doesn't make distinctions about the amount of money you have and your worth. What the Bible will speak about is righteousness versus 
unrighteousness. And if you look through the scriptures, you will find verses that say righteous people can be rich and that poor people also can be righteous. It will also talk about the unrighteous poor and the unrighteous rich both. But we typically do as people is we'll look for verses in the Bible that reinforce our position and where we are in our lives. And so people who have a lot of money like all the verses about the righteous people being rich and people who are poor like all the verses about poor people being righteous. And we tend to focus on this and not realizing that we are all wicked apart from Jesus. And so we need him to rescue and save us in our lives. And this is why I think Ecclesiastes does what it does. Chapter 5, he starts off talking about worship resetting us to understand what God has said about us, what he speaks over us, where our focus is meant to be. Our meaning doesn't come from how much we acquire or where our clothes come from or the size of our house or where our house is or the type of car that we drive. The good news of the gospel is that our worth is found in what God has said about us, what God has done for us. And so proper worship is always going to remind us who God is, what he has done, and then what he has said about us. If you have a Bible, open to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm going to take the long way around to get there, but we're eventually going to get there, so you'll have a long time to get there if you can't find it normally, okay? Uh, Derek Kidner points out that the writer of Ecclesiastes, sometimes it will translate as the teacher, sometimes the preacher, uh, but really he says this is where he starts actually preaching, is Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And this, he kind of gears a lot of this to people who go to the temple or in our vernacular go to church because with all of his frustration with things under the sun, he shows that he really does believe in God and God's goodness and he is committed to wanting to worship God with his life and his money. And so Solomon is going to talk about four different classifications of people in regard to money. He'll talk about the unrighteous rich. Uh, the scriptures refer to these people as those who exploit and defraud and oppress other people for gain. Today we would say it as those who lie and cheat and steal and create uh, fake foundations or fake religions or fake churches to take money from people. I would also include in this people who make pop-up ads on the internet. Uh, I would also include in this um, people who sing in boy bands and anybody who puts an ad between my Facebook and Instagram feed. I'm like, why do I got to look at an ad? I'm just trying to see what people are doing in their lives and you want to sell me a helicopter because apparently those are the things I look at, quadcopters to fly around. Anyway, unrighteous rich. Okay? Then you have the righteous rich. The righteous rich, and the Bible speaks about these as though who, who make money, and they are generous, and they invest in other people. They make smart decisions about what to buy into and what to support, and they slowly and surely will make that money grow while not hurting others in the process. And this is what I hope you know, we'd all want to be or all want to know people who are like this. Then you have the righteous poor. I would say the righteous poor are a lot like Jesus. The righteous poor work hard and well. They're not so happy. They're not looking for someone just to you know, hurt them enough that doesn't maim them for life, but does hurt them enough to take somebody's income for the rest of their life so they can live off somebody else. We're not those kind of people. Uh, the righteous rich are people who do an honest job for honest pay, and they work well. And I think this is mo- where most people who love Jesus really want to settle in to be, away from um, an obsession with money and a love for righteousness. Not that we wouldn't mind being the righteous rich, but you know we want to be a people who are settled in what God calls us to be. And then there is the unrighteous poor. And the unrighteous poor are people who, if you gave them a million dollars, they'd blow it on drugs drugs and Vegas and cars and lottery tickets and country music tickets and Slurpees and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, They're people who end up being poor because they are lazy and consume everything and don't do the hard work of learning how to make their own lunch or paint their own nails or make their own coffee. Not that you can't go buy coffee or get a manicure or pedicure, not that you can't go buy lunch. It's that when times get hard, you don't know how to do any of that stuff because you've never 
done it. And it's not an issue, again, of rich and poor. It's issues of righteousness versus unrighteousness. And sometimes when I talk about this, sometimes people get a little angry at me. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just reading what's in the Bible, okay? So we're going to talk about this. Uh, How Solomon ended two weeks ago, Ecclesiastes 5.12, he says this, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. And so this is talking about good sleep. He's worked hard. He's worked well. He's not worried about what might come back and bite him. He's just working hard and well, honoring God in his life. And whether he goes to bed hungry or full, he's going to sleep a good night's sleep. Well, on the other hand, the unrighteous rich person goes to bed and they lie awake at night. It could be because they're worried about things they said or did, or in this, what's talking about here, maybe they have a gluttonous diet where they ate too much and then went to bed. It ever happened to you? You eat too much, eat pizza or that ice cream before you go to bed, you wake up in the middle of the night going, whew, why can't I sleep? Why did I have that nightmare? What's going on? Exactly. See? Exactly. At least I got an amen that sounded like an amen, you know, in the middle of that. So, so the, this Ecclesiastes becomes very practical in the things that it talks about in this, especially in the ideas of righteousness and money and lifestyle. And I think when we look at money, righteousness and money is going to come down to three things. Number one, how do we get our money? How do we get it? Uh, do we get it in a healthy, good, biblical way? Secondly, how do we spend our money? Do we spend our money on things that are wise or things that are foolish? And then also, then what do you use money? Why do we use money the way that we do? Why do we, what do we purchase with it? How do we spend it? What's the condition of our heart? What are we trying to honor in our life with the decisions that we are making with our income? Today really is one of the most complicated economic periods in the history of the world. Uh, We have the benefits of technology and ingenuity all coming together. And our economy is changing so rapidly in how it looks and works out. And I was reading this book recently called The Experience Economy. It's by Joseph Pine and James Gilmore. And what they do is they kind of show how the economy has changed throughout the years. Uh, They do this progression. This is what they talk about. Say, for most of history, when people needed something, what they would do is they would uh, do what's called a commodity commodity economy. They, they, if you wanted like uh, something, you would go out and you would, you would grow it. You would kill it. You would chop it down. You'd make it yourself. You had to find a way to get that thing that you needed. And so in the book, they do this with the analogy of coffee. Like if you wanted to make coffee, you would have to grow it and grind it and do all that. And if you did that yourself, a cup of coffee would probably cost you about three cents. But then we moved into from that what's called a goods economy. And in a goods economy, if you wanted coffee, you would find someone who was selling coffee, whether it's the beans or ground coffee. Like where before you would grow it and do it all yourself, now you would produce something else that maybe your land produced. And you would take that to market, and you would sell that, you would barter it, or you'd trade. And then you would get the coffee, and then you would take it home. And if you wanted milk or cream for your coffee, you didn't have to own the cow. You just had to have something to trade for the milk or the cream to put then in your coffee. And a cup of coffee would cost you a couple nickels at that point. And then he moved into what's called a services economy. In a services economy, you pay people to do all the work for you, like make your coffee or make your food. Like many people work in areas of service or sales. Like sometimes someone will have an idea. They will design a product. They'll make a product. They'll promote the product. People will see that product, want to order that product, and then, and then take it home, and they will buy it, and they will get money that way. And in this, you know, this could be something short like... Uh, 
like food. You go to a restaurant and you buy some food, or it could be the longer way around where you make a widget and somebody buys the widget from you. But in this now, you're selling things for money and income, then you pay other people to do all the service for you. Uh, in a commo- or in, we're not a commodity economy where we take things from the earth. It's not a goods economy where we w- work at making our widget all day. Now what it is is we go to a service economy where you pay somebody to do all that work for you, and they hand you the cup of coffee, and it's already done. And a cup of coffee there probably costs you a buck or so. Then they start transitioning into these two things that are coming together now. One is called an information economy. In an information economy with the advent of the Internet, a lot of people work in places like IT, which is information technology. And you have careers that require information and education, like uh, lawyers and computer engineers and satellite intelligence. And now today we're a people who want to know where our coffee comes from, how it was grown. Did it get rained on? Was it sprinklers? Was there any cows pooping on it when it was growing? You know, what kind of people picked the beans? How did it come to me and come to my Starbucks? I, you know, we want to know all the information all about it because we're kind of weird and coffee is going to kill you anyway. I don't know why you even care, but whatever. And so now a cup of coffee that kind of matters in all of this that was grown and how it was grown costs about two to three bucks. But this is now being dovetailed in what's called an experience economy. We're starting to live in this thing called an experience economy where our lives are dominated by experience. It's no longer about the tree or the cow or the plant or the goods or the services or the, or the information. Now we're dominated by experience experience. We buy a TV and we turn it on and we watch TV and it gives us an experience. We like experiences. We pay money to go to go to concerts. Uh, we like going to movies. What kind of movie do you like? 3D? RPX? 3D RPX? 2D? Uh, you want really cheap and you want to go to the old Edwards over here? We call it the pea theater because that's what it smells like, but you can go over there and watch movies in that one, right? Well, what, what do you want in your life? Do you want stadium seating? you want normal seating? Uh, you go to theme parks, right? And what you do is you pay money, and what you walk away with is nothing tangible except an experience. You walk away with the memory. You don't walk away with something. Uh, some people work in that industry, and there's nothing wrong with it. it. It's fine. But a couple hundred years ago, it would have been incomprehensible for someone to be like, I'm going to go pay for an experience. Because if you tried to hand them an experience for their money, they'd be like, I don't want an experience. I want a cow. I want a coffee bean. I want That's what they would look for. But now today, it's about ambiance and mood and lighting. Like Starbucks will even tell you they're selling you an experience, not really just coffee, an experience. And a cup of coffee with an experience is five bucks plus, right? I think I'm an open rebellion because I hate coffee, so that's how it goes. Because of our bizarre economy, it's really harder than ever to start to navigate righteousness and unrighteousness in the midst of our finances in economies. Like how we will make money, how we are going to spend money. A couple hundred years ago, people would have thought we were completely unrighteous for spending our money on experiences. But that's kind of what our economy looks like today. So how are we going to spend it? And that's the question that Ecclesiastes starts to deal with now. The Bible will teach that God God owns all the wealth, and that we as his people are meant to be stewards of the wealth that he has given us. And when we understand that, it helps us to navigate our economies a lot better, because we understand that it's his. And so we ask questions, you know, how does God want me to spend his money on these things? And if I asked you a question like this, is it better for a Christian to be rich or poor? You know, what what do people say? Because it's a common question people have asked throughout the ages based upon economies and different cultures and where it's at. And like I was talking about in the beginning, I think a lot of us would come to a place and we would say, oh, it's better to be poor. Why? 
Because we're poor, right? So we think that's better because that's, that's our life view. But in reality, it's a horrible question. It's a terribly bad question because it's not about rich or poor. It's about righteousness versus unrighteousness, and that's how we should think about it. As I said a minute ago, some people are rich because they are righteous, and God blesses them. Others are rich because they're unrighteous, and they gain their wealth through sinful means. Some people are poor because they are righteous, and they refuse to sin to try and get rich. Other people are poor because they are unrighteous and lazy or foolish. And we can never get sucked into this, oh, is it better to be rich or poor. That, that, that's class warfare. That's what politics do today. We don't get sucked into that. What we do, it's not whether it's going to be rich or poor. What it is, it's better to be righteous. It's better to know God and walk with Him. And righteousness comes from Him as a gift. That's what we need to first understand. But in terms of wisdom and our money and how we live that out, there is some money, uh, wisdom in how we do that. And it is God's discretion in the end whether we are rich or poor. Uh, for a lot of people today who are like hipsters and hate capitalism and grow their own vegetables and don't shave their face or their armpits, and a lot of people think, oh, it's just about being poor. It's all about being poor. No, it's not. It's not. Well, I'm like Jesus. He wore a robe all day and walked around in sandals. Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years, okay? And when he walked around in his sandals, he walked miles upon miles to spread the gospel, not be lazy and sit on the couch and eat food that ended in the word Eidos, okay? He went out and did things. So we need to trust that God has called us to be a people who live in righteousness. So what Solomon does... In Ecclesiastes 5 is he starts with the idea of worship and then moves into the idea of what money does. Now, I'm going to talk about the verses very quickly we talked about two weeks ago because I didn't really talk about that in terms of righteousness and unrighteousness. I talked about that in terms of satisfaction. So I want to briefly hit those before we move into the verses we're looking at today. So Ecclesiastes 5.10, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. This is the idea that if your goal in your life is to be rich, you will most likely be unrighteous because your view is on the riches and not upon who God calls you to be. If your goal is to be righteous, you might be rich or poor, but again, a lot of times people who want to be righteous, they end up being poor, not because righteousness brings poverty, but because God is first, and riches isn't always the first thing on our radar. I think the world needs people who work their jobs hard and well and honestly. And I think in heaven, if we are actually standing around worshiping God, I think those people who have worked hard and honestly and well are the ones that are going to teach all the rest of us what worship really looks like because it will be how they lived out their life. I mean, it's about if you're poor, you know your friends and your spouse wants to be around you for you because you don't really have anything. And this is why he talks about those pleasures of the righteous poor. Ecclesiastes 5.12, sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much. Derek Kidner, when he talks about this in Ecclesiastes, he says almost everyone in the West, from our homeless people to our Wall Street executives, are really rich in the eyes of the rest of the world. And yet having wealth has also made us very unhealthy. He points to all of our health clubs and all of our fitness machines. He points out how absurd it is that we spend our money on things to undo the damage of money and ease. We got money, we took it easy, and now i got to go to the gym to work off all the things that money brought me. Right? Oliver Goldsmith once wrote this, where, health, where wealth accumulates, men tend to decay, right? And this is why Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 5.13, there's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. This is that when God gives us things, we're meant to be a generous people and look around us for ways to be generous and give things away. And if we only hoard things, it starts to cause us grief. This is the understanding that people who are righteous 
will look around, around them and try and find places to help those in need. It's why we start college funds or maybe find somebody who's down on, on their luck and they need groceries. You buy them groceries or put gas in their car so they can get to work. Maybe you're at a restaurant. You see a young couple who is like frazzled because they got all these kinds of kids like the first date they've had in like a year and they're like, Aah. it's like, I'm going to buy their meal. You, just, you, you buy it, so you, hey, I'm going to help those people out. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, so don't think that's what I'm doing, but a couple of years ago, uh, I got a Christmas bonus from my other job, not Element, but I got a, and, and I had some cash in my pocket. My wife and I went to lunch at this place called Gina's in Aurora Grande, and we're sitting there. It's, it's a small little place. It's next to Rooster Creek. You probably go there, but not Gina. Anyway, so we're at Gina's, and we're eating lunch, and there's like eight or ten people in the room, and then this older guy comes walking in. You know, he, he's not walking that well, and he's got a World War II veteran's hat on. And he can, there's not a lot of them left, right? And he comes and he sits down with his wife. And my wife and I are like, that is so cute. I want that to be us one day. You know, just let's go out to lunch. Yeah. And five hours later, we make it to the restaurant, you know, something like that. <laughs> but, but they sit down. And, and you know, I'm thinking, I, I got this unexpected money in my pocket. How, how do I be generous? And we got our bill. And it was, it was not that expensive. And so I asked the waitress, what would it cost me to buy everybody's lunch in this room? She goes, a couple hundred bucks. And I'm like, okay, and, and we did that. And I said, don't tell them it was me. Just say, hey, Merry Christmas, you know, help somebody else. And I walked by and I said, thanks for your service, and we walked out the door. Because my view was, it's not, oh, I got extra money. What am I going to get myself? It was, how can I be generous with what I have in my hands? And maybe you don't have a, I don't normally walk around with a couple hundred bucks in my pocket, but, but you know, maybe, maybe for you, you don't have a couple hundred bucks. What can you do? Well, you can serve in a shelter. You can bring food. You can bring a dessert. We we're, should be people who always look to be generous rather than be consumed by money. Last week, this kid shows up to my house, and he's selling magazines. I do not buy magazines from people at my door because I never get my magazines. If you've ever had it happen to you. But, the, but he shows up. His name is Lamarcus. He's 20 years old. He's from South Carolina. I talked to him about his whole story because I'm like that. Um, and he starts, he goes, well, you want to buy a magazine? And I'm like, I don't want to buy a magazine. And I just talked to him about his life and everything. And I feel bad for him because the organization that kids like that work, they're trying to make points, right? And then these people they make points for give them, like, money for college. But it's really a scam, and these poor kids are working their butts off and making these people all kinds of money. And so I just, I told him what I do, and he gave me a little bit of his life story, and I said, hey, you know, I want to pray for you, LaMarcus. And, and I said, do you have a Venmo account? And he goes, yeah. So I got his Venmo address, and I gave him 40 bucks. And I said, I'm going to give you 40 He goes, no, no, buy a magazine. And I go, I'm not going to buy a magazine. He goes, what's your wife home? And I said, if my wife was home, you wouldn't get this far. You know, <laughs> she'd be like, why are you out there talking to that guy? And I said, but I'm going to give you 40 bucks. And I said, and what I, want you, I want you to go get lunch. I want you to put gas in your car. If you're, if you're dating a girl, I said, take her out to dinner or something like that. I said, I just want to give you something to know that I appreciate the conversation. And I'm sorry for the position that you're in your life right now, but I'm going to be praying for you. So if Malamarcus comes to your house, be like, Hey, our pastor told us about you. How you doing, LaMarcus? And he'd be like, what is going on? I told first service that too. So if he shows up, it'd be fun. Anyway, anyway, but, but that's the idea. We're looking for ways to be generous, to help and to touch other people so we're not consumed by money. Uh, again, verse 13 and 14, he says, There's a grievous evil I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. This, again, is speaking of what you are now going to pass down to your children, those younger than you. What do you have in your hand to pass down to them? Now, there are other places we're going to talk about the idea of legacy, because sometimes if you have money, there are times and places where you lose it all, the economy tanks. And, but what you can give in that moment is you give your, your faith, and you let them see how you love and 
honor and worship and serve God. But here, it's talking about investing for the sake of passing it down. If you're like me, okay, you probably are at places in your life where you don't have a couple hundred bucks in your pocket, and you get a little bit extra in savings, and something always melts down in your life. Like your, like your car blows up, or your water heater melts down, or your dryer sounds like it ate a cat. It sounds like it'd be a great sound, I know, but it's not, right? I always wish my dryer sounded like that. But anyway, so what you do is you look for places to invest for the future, for the purpose of handing it down to others uh, and to be generous. Uh, Sarah talked about announcements. We're doing Financial Peace University. FPU is, is a great practical course to take you through if you never learned how to budget or save money. One of the first things they will do is teach you how to save $1,000. It's like, $1,000? Yeah, you save $1,000 because if you can get that and something melts down in your life, you have an emergency fund to take care of that while you're still saving over here and doing these things on this side. It's very practical because the Bible is very practical. I feel really bad for like one-hit wonder rock stars because they get a bunch of money fast and they just blow it. I'm telling you, if I was an actor, I would do every movie somebody asked me to do. I'd be a sellout and I would do everything and I'd just pocket it all. I don't want to be a Nicolas Cage or Wesley Snipes that can't pay my taxes and lose everything. I don't want to be one of those. I mean, seriously, rock stars thinks it goes on forever, and then one day your bam, vanilla ice, and Bowie and Queen is suing you for all your rap money. Then you got to do a horrible show on HGTV. That's what Solomon is talking about. First service didn't understand the reference, so I'm glad you guys got it. Okay, verse 15. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind, who's always working for the wind? This is, again, referring to all of us, but more a focus on the unrighteous who are trying all of their lives just to get more and more stuff. I need the house. I need the boat. I need the houseboat. I need the the, the airplane. I need need all of this stuff. But he says that he died before they can ever enjoy it because they're always striving to get the things but never enjoy the things. And when you die, you can't take your stuff with you, your hot tubs and your planes and your TVs and your Xboxes. Not that they're wrong, but you can't take them with you. And so what he's talking about is to start to focus on the things that are actually eternal and relationships, and life, and enjoying what God has placed in your hands now. Uh, Verse 17, he says, Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, and much vexation, and sickness, and anger. Now, this will be contrasted with verse 20 when we get there, and I'll show you the difference, because this is the unrighteous. And he's speaking of people who spend all their time trying to get money and stuff, but don't have friends to share these things with. And so they sit at home, and they're depressed, and they're angry. And sometimes they don't have friends because they don't want to open up and share their lives with anybody because they're afraid that people don't love them for them just for their stuff. I think Solomon might even be alluding to himself here. They always wonder why you want to be their friend. Why do you want to hang out with me? And so they end up being alone and frustrated and angry, and they sit with them stuff all by themselves. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about how two are better than one, that we are meant to be in relationship. Solomon is someone who most likely pushed everyone away, claiming everyone else was the problem. And I know it sounds like a danner, but this is why he takes this now and he switches gears. And he's going to start talking about righteousness and how to live in righteousness and just love the things that God has placed into our hands. Now, this is what he does. So, chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Behold what I have seen to be a good thing, and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun for the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. So now it comes back to this theology. It becomes very, very practical. It works itself out in real-life situations. Uh, here, it's this eating and drinking and living your life is part of the righteousness. It's part of our worship of who God is. So many religions today 
will walk around and they will tell you how to be more spiritual. Leave your worldly thoughts behind. Become a monk. Go live on a hill and chant some songs you don't know the words to or that doesn't have any rhyme or reason to it. But make, make sure you're holy. Guys, our God is practical. Our God is practical, and he talks to us in the scriptures about what to do with our, with our food and our drinks and our pots and our pans and our money. And so many denominations today want to sit and argue about dancing and movies and eternal security and raising your hands at church and predestination when God looks at pots and pans and money because that's in the end what's going to steal our joy. Solomon's kind of like, you want to be righteous or live in the grace that God has given you? Start with your fridge and your credit card and your diet and your budget. Find enjoyment in all the work with which one works under the sun. Eat, drink, work your job. That's not fatalism. Oh, it's always going to be this way. It's reality. In our culture, we are constantly told, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want. That's not true. Look at me. I am an average, skinny, white dude. I will never play in the NBA. No matter how much I would want to do it, it will never happen. I will never be a professional counselor because I'm not that nice. I will never be an... I will never be an engineer because I hate math and I never built anything right the first time. It's just not going to happen. What if I grew up saying, oh, I want to be a supermodel. I know I'm built like a junior high girl, but I'm not good looking enough for it to ever happen. It's just not going to happen. And so what Solomon says here is learn to accept your lot in life. There are certain gifts that God has given you. and live. You know when you do that? It is so liberating. Parents, you shouldn't tell your kids, oh, you can be anything you want to be. Instead, encourage them. Work hard. Be honest. What do you like to do? Oh, well, let's focus on that. That's going to be a great thing. Let's focus on that. Because God's kingdom, it scores righteousness and unrighteousness. It's about loving Jesus and trusting him. And how we trust him, we begin to work hard and eat and drink. We serve a God who is a blue-collar laborer. God made the world in seven days. God comes along when he becomes a man in Jesus. He works 90% of his life as a carpenter. And then when he goes out and preaches and teaches, he is walking miles upon miles upon miles to touch and bless and love people. And if we played by the rules of our culture, we would never go to Jesus at all. Because he doesn't have a degree, doesn't have a portfolio, doesn't own a home. He's 30 and not married. What an underachiever that guy is. It's about righteousness. Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil and his work, this is the gift of God. Does God give people some money? Yes, he does. He does. Most righteous people who have money, I think, are astonished with how much they actually have because God gave it to them. And God then enables us to enjoy it because our focus isn't on the money. It's upon God himself who brings our righteousness. See, Ecclesiastes is always trying to remind us that our stuff and our enjoyment of our stuff are two completely different things. And if we trust Jesus, we can live a rich life, whether or not we ever have financial prosperity. Too many people think that if I just got a hold of something different, if I had a different house or a different car or a different job or a different boss or a different spouse, well, then everything would be better and I'd have joy. If you got all that stuff and you have neglected God, you're never going to enjoy that stuff because you've neglected your righteousness. And our righteousness comes from Him. And when we try and find it somewhere else, it is always meaningless under the sun. So Solomon rounds this out like this. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. See, contrast that with verse 17 about the unrighteous rich. All his days he eats in darkness with much vexation and sickness and anger. And yet, what do the righteous people live like? For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is the idea 
that people who find their righteousness in what God has brought to us and trust him for it are people who are so busy loving God and living the life he's given us, we don't need to spend our time worrying about the pains and the miseries of life. Now, there are pains and miseries that come, but we walk through those things with God himself. We don't need to be like some depressed indie rocker, hack therapist, or way too serious philosophy major who reads too many books and doesn't actually live life. We're just busy living our life with God and the joy that he brings, the beauty that he gives us. And if you want to talk about the experience economy, that's the experience economy. Living life in the goodness and grace that God has bestowed upon us as a people. This is the freedom that good news of Jesus brings because he is our righteousness. You don't need to be the king of kings or the Lord of lords. He already is. What we become are just what God calls us to be. Become the teacher of teachers, uh, the bank teller of bank tellers. I mean, you can... You could be the HVAC installer of HVAC installers, right? You could be the, you know, again, the, the teacher of teachers. I, I have a guy who's a used car salesman at first service, and I go, you can be the used car salesman of used car salesmen. I mean, he's like, thanks, you know, because people don't really appreciate us that much. And I go, ah, I get it, you know. But, but still, you get to be, you know, what God calls you to be, the, the mom of moms, the dad of dads. So many churches tell people false things like, you shouldn't enjoy your life. That's going to please the Lord. Just be bummed out all the time. No, no, you should. And whatever God places in your hands and in your life, find joy in that. Be generous with it. Love other people and find joy in this thing till the wheels fall off and you see Jesus face to face. See, righteousness is people who don't wait to live. We trust what God has spoken over us and we live. We accept our lot and we run with it and are generous in the midst of it. In Matthew 6, 21 and 24, Jesus says our money is going to follow our hearts, that we can't worship God and money both. It's a difference of where we find our treasure in our life. And money, like everything else, is a neutral thing. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. But the love of money, when it takes over our love for God, is a tempting trap that leads to ruin and despair. And the sad thing is that people who hate money are still focused on money. Guys, prosperity theology and poverty theology are both wrong. We shouldn't love or hate money. We should love God because he first loved us. And so then we love him back in all things. And we understand that our God himself, he is a giver. Our God is a giver. He gave his son to us to pay for the price for our sin. And when we understand that, we in turn become givers as well. And when we worship God in all that we do in our life, it's meant to remind us of the things that God has spoken and said over us as a people. That God has called us into relationship with him. He has restored us and said, you don't have to work and find your righteousness anywhere, but just trust me. And I will have righteousness placed upon you that I give to you. And then we as a people can then begin to live out that righteousness in ways that honor and reflect him and find such great joy in our lives. And it's one of the reasons that Element, every week we come to a place where we bring you guys to communion. We don't pass it to you. It's a response that, that you do. You break the cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me as a people. That he brings our righteousness. He takes what has separated us from God and us from one another. He takes that all away in himself and he bestows righteousness upon us. Our God pays the debt for our sin because our God is a generous God. And then he gives to us. And we as a people, when we understand that better, we then become a generous people, finding our righteousness and joy and hope in who he is. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons in the back. And if you need prayer, 
If you're in a place today, maybe where you feel like your, your finances are out of control and your whole life is kind of focused upon this thing called money and you don't know what to do, they would love to pray with you about that. If you have questions about Financial Peace University, they, you can go to the Welcome Center afterwards and kind of sign up for that uh, and talk to people with some questions you might have about that. But the whole idea in all of this is that our focus and our hearts are not centered around money and things and stuff, that we are set free from the bondages that brings and our lives are centered around who God calls us to be that our righteousness is found in what he has said and what he has done. The good news of the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection brings so many things into our lives like freedom and hope for us to be able to begin to live lives of generosity because we understand first what God has done. The result of what he has done changes who we are completely. There's offering boxes next to every door. <laughs> we give because God has given so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. Um, there, I don't know if there's snacks outside or not uh, somehow. Is there? Yes. So there's some snacks outside. Uh, apparently emails forgot to go out to remind people. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus because it would point back this direction. Um, but uh, there is some food. Grab something to eat. Maybe take some sermon notes. Talk to some other people this week. And maybe talk to some of those questions about money and what your heart is drawn to and the things that you know your, maybe your mind just obsesses over to get your hands on and you... And, you just obsess until you get the thing. I want a new TV. I want a new car. I want a new this. I want a new that, whatever it is. And then maybe talk about the ways you can maybe step back from that and allow God just to lead you into places to be thankful for what you already have in your hands right now and to find joy in that and to be able to be generous and share the things that he has so graciously already given you with those around us. And you know, come alongside one another and talk about those things because, again, our God is good, and he calls us to be a people who remind one another of his graciousness in all that we do. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us of your goodness and how much of a giver you are and how you have brought us righteousness in you, that you have given us hope, that you have given us love, that you have bestowed grace, and that we would then be undone in our lives because we would see how generous you are. And that that would begin to change our hearts. So we'd begin to be a generous people. But we'd understand that it all starts in the place of the good news of your rescue of us. What you have done to bring us out of the places we are. To bring us into your family. And then to set us on this path that walks with you day to day to day. Teach us to be those who become so childlike in our faith that we trust you for whatever comes into our lives and that we would find so much joy in what you have provided that we would run with it till the walls fall off or wheels fall off as we we honor you and love others and live out this such life that you continue to bring and restore to us. Even in the midst of of places where there's hardship and trial. You continue to bring goodness and joy and hope and life again. And so teach us to see that and to live in that and to first and foremost glorify you in all of it and to be generous and reflect you to the culture that is around us so people would know how good you are because you've sent us as a people to reflect your generosity to the world around us. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.